But I made a decision that once we'd lost, best thing for old leaders, defeated leaders, get out. Very, very simply. I mean, I had no intention of staying there. Did people try and convince you to stay? What are we talking, 20 years ago? I can't remember clearly. No, I, I tend to make, as I said, I planned to go in 2001, end of 99, lost, go. The man you have just heard is former Liberal Premier Jeff Kennett, talking about how he always planned to leave if he lost the election in 1999 and how he was planning to transition to another leader if he won. As is so often the case in politics, things are rarely that simple. Now, for the first time since the state election that changed Victoria forever, Jeff Kennett has reunited with the man who replaced him as Premier, former Labor leader Steve Brax. I'm James Campbell. And I'm Matt Johnston. In this episode, we look at the dying days of the Kennett government and what was happening behind the scenes as three independent MPs continued to weigh up their options. Welcome to Face Off. Now, this morning, I took a call from Mr Brax, who indicated to me he had received uh, this memorandum from the three independents. I indicated to Mr Brax that we will consider the document, that we will importantly be holding a coalition meeting tomorrow at two o'clock to consider the ramifications of the document. That was Jeff Kennett's final press conference as Premier, revealing that the three independent MPs was set to support Steve Brax as Premier. For the month prior to this moment, Kennett had been putting a brave face on his situation, holding cabinet meetings and carrying on as though nothing had changed, even though he was unable to swear in his new ministers. We're about to hear from Louise Asher, who was tourism minister in the Kennett government. And cabinet itself, um, after the election night and before everyone knew the exact nature of the numbers, cabinet was still effectively sitting, but we, it was a bit of a, a show cabinet, I suppose. What, what do you remember? Well, I, I remember the Monday cabinet meeting um, after the election where everything was in limbo and counting was still going on and it was conceivable that we could still win some of the seats we ended up losing. And that was the only cabinet leak of the Kennett era that somebody told the press how upset some of the cabinet ministers were. And I was actually very, very angry um, because I loved saying the Kennett cabinet doesn't leak. Um, and I know that Jeff thought that was the mark of his cabinet. But somebody blabbed after that meeting and I was, I was just terribly disappointed and thought, OK, this is just a, the disintegration that happens afterwards. But it was a very sad cabinet meeting because, yes, there was hope that we could perhaps get these seats, but there was a realisation that the then Premier was incredibly damaged and, of course, the realisation that we actually could lose after everyone thought we were going to win initially. And the polls said we were going to win. Former Health Minister Rob Knowles was another MP who was stunned by what was happening, having lost his seat at the election but effectively remaining in Cabinet until a decision on who was governing was made. There was, a, I understand, a meeting of a sort of, a, of a cabinet, an unsworn cabinet. Yeah. What was that? That must have been a surreal experience. Uh, it was. And, and Well, I remained a minister even though I wasn't a member of Parliament up until the change of government because we... Um, the department came to me because we were letting a contract. We'd been through the process to contract a new hospital at Casey. And um, they sought my approval to brief John Thwaites because we were still in caretaker mode. So no one could make a decision unless it was an agreed bipartisan. So, yeah, it was a, a, a surreal. It was, um, 
you were no longer in power, but you weren't out of power either. For the three independent MPs, Susan Davies, Craig Ingram and Russell Savage, the result in the Frank Sinise supplementary election meant that decision time had arrived. Who would they support as Premier? Jeff Kennett or Steve Brax? Russell Savage reveals that before the result was known, the Liberals were trying to find a way to get the Governor to swear in the new Cabinet. Here is Savage. There's one little story we go back to, and, and Kenneth denied this, but it, it, it's a true thing. When we're in that process, before they know what's going to happen at Frankston East and Geelong, Kenneth called me down to Treasury when he was still Premier to his office and wanted to have a talk to me before we've made a decision to decide. So I went down on my own. Mark Burrell was there. He was the Liberal member for... Leader of the upper house, Mark Birrell, he hasn't been in politics for a long time. And Kenneth's first words to me were, and there's just the three of us in this room, he said, we know that you don't want anything because I've rejected the office that they've put to me that do this and will, you know, you can have this particular uh, opportunity, like, as we said, a minister or... And he didn't personally offer these things, but other people did. Or you can be the speaker. And I said, well, I don't want anything. I just want to serve my community as a member for Mildura. And he said, well, I've got something to put to you because Stockdale is the retired from politics, but he's the acting treasurer until the new government's sworn in. He said he's had a marriage breakup and he wants to get out of the situation he's in and being the uh, acting treasurer. And uh, I want to take Dennis Napthine to the governor and swear him in as the new treasurer and the other people who are going to be in the Kennett government ministry. And I said, well, if you do that, you're forming government without our opportunity to decide on on the day of the Frankston East or the Geelong by-election, or the Geelong election and the Frankston East by-election. He said, oh, I know that, he said, but I guarantee that uh, if you don't decide, if you decide not to support us on the first day of the parliament, I guarantee I'll hand you uh, the, ro- the, the reins over to Steve Rax. But I knew enough about it to know that if there's a motion of no confidence, we go back to the polls. It's not about handing the reins over to someone else. So we would have had an election probably three weeks after the, the first one, which I thought was going to be an unnecessary expense. I said, well, I don't agree. He said, well, actually, I've spoken to Craig Ingram, and he said he's agreed with this. I thought, I've just seen Craig. He never said anything about this to me. So I said, well, I don't agree with it. And uh, that was the end of the discussion, and and I left. Now, I told this to a journo once, I think on the 10-year cycle, and it was put to Jeff Jeff Cannon, but he he denied it. But they would have been taping me. In the meeting, you mean? Yeah, they would have. I, I think I would have been being taped, but that doesn't matter. But anyway, I, when I got back to the office, I, I spoke to Craig, and he said, "Well, it wasn't. It was put to me, but I didn't agree with it." So uh, it's just one of those really bizarre things. And because the only person who can give advice to the governor is the premier of the day, and that's that's Kenneth Brax can't. I can't. But I thought, oh, I'm going to ring up uh, the governor's office. So I rang up and I spoke to somebody there. I think it was Sir Charles Kerwin, who was the governor's secretary. And I just explained to him what had happened. And uh, I said that we're not going to uh, support anybody until after these two 
events, Geelong and Frank Sneast. And he never said to me, oh, you can't talk to me, and uh, I, I think this is inappropriate. He just said, yes, thank you, and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and then I went to a reception with the new parliament at Government House, and I, this person came up to me, and he said, oh, I'm Charles Kerwin. And he said, you should write a book. <laughs> so that was not lost on the governor, and it wasn't lost on, uh, on him. I- interesting history, isn't it? Very Russell just told us that in one of his early meetings, and he says Geoffrey denies this, but he said he was preparing the Premier at the time to swear in a new cabinet and basically get on with things, which could have led to a vote of non, no confidence in the Parliament. That could have sent everyone back to the polls. Did you have a similar offer or what was your recollection of what he said to you about those things? Yeah, no, that uh, it was an interesting uh, question because it was it came after a, a private meeting I'd had with uh, uh, Jeff Kennett and Beryl, and it was put and was discussed. I didn't necessarily agree with it, and it was pretty clear, you know, what was the outcome. But look, you know, I'd, I was a bit of a newbie, so I wasn't going to make any commitments to stuff like that. I, you know, sort of said that's a discussion we need to have with the three of us rather than, you know, the, so that that offer was was there that that, that scheming, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I think they would have done anything to uh, try and, you know, force you know a fairly messy outcome like that, or or even then go back to the polls because I think the uh, the coalition thought it was a bit of an aberration, and yeah, you know, behaviour through that first three years was was very much that they thought it was, uh, you know, the, it was just a you know, voters made a mistake and they'd uh, they'd fix it at the next election, which they uh, were completely wrong on. I have done this with. A heavier heart than you can possibly imagine, given that most of you don't think I have any heart at all. Victoria is without a doubt my life. I genuinely leave you all very, very proud. Yeah, oh, look, it was, I mean, it was euphoric that we had the chance to form government. And I think particularly because Labor had only been in opposition for seven years, there had been an expectation that we'd be in opposition for a lot longer than that. So there was a euphoria, but there was also, and I remember Steve, you know, there was a a really strong determination to be incredibly disciplined and implement our policies and work very, very hard because we were a minority government. So every piece of legislation um, would rise and fall on the floor of either the lower or the upper house. We did not have a majority in either in either chamber of parliament. So we had to be incredibly disciplined. I was a, obviously a backbencher at the time. And so in the parliament, there was very high expectations from the leadership of the government about what the back, where backbenchers were meant to be at all times and the role we were meant to play. There was um, a really strong determination to deliver on our agenda and also a strong determination to grab the opportunity. It is an enormous gift and privilege to be in government and to implement your policies and to, to work with the Victorian community. And um, to have been given that gift in the, early, from the, in the late 90s was something that we were going to work very hard on. And it was an incredibly, we were an incredibly focused team. At- 
News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. As well, it was a small team, as I said, because we're a minority government, but very, very focused on the task at hand. As Jacinda Allen explains, Labor's parliamentary position was precarious and they decided against too many radical changes. But they were greeted with a large gift by the former government. A huge surplus was waiting for them, meaning that the job of delivering promises and increasing spending in core areas was achievable. Former Health Minister Rob Knowles. Because the other thing that emerged during the campaign that we were unaware of was that the state's finances were much more robust uh, than what we had understood. Our political opponents will inherit the best condition this state has been in for those 60 years. And can I also say they are going to inherit a brilliant public service. Yeah, we... um I, I just knew that um, uh, the Labor government were going to be able to be much more generous in in terms of government expenditure than what we had, and that that always makes for popularity of government. Ticket took over. We did not rescind or change any of the privatisations. We kept a similar economic setting to Everything. what was... I think you kept all of my Pretty well, pretty well. We what we changed was... The one hospital I think you took over was a Gippsland hospital you yeah, re-nationalised. I think it was it, I think. Uh, the Austin, the Austin we took yeah. back. And I think you changed one boundary of the local government, didn't you? There was yeah, one, one little thing. In, in Kensington, I but think, we, was it? Um, but we, we, uh, we concentrated more on some of the social policy, agenda of education and health, <laughs> and um, some of the rail lines. So, you know, it was really taking that economic policy and saying, okay, we're going to continue that, and that changed the Labor Party, but still being able to give back a dividend by delivering on social policy. So that was the sort of change that that we had. Um, and I agree with Jeff, it's a credit to John Brumby that he, he stuck there through that difficult period, and um, he was rewarded by being a key part of our government. I mean, I was very pleased. I had, I had an interesting situation when I took over because I was Premier and Treasurer for our first budget and I was so relieved yes. when I was able to hand over the Treasury to John Brumby as well because the last thing I wanted was to do both. You know? the one, the, can I just... <laughs> <laughs> that is right. I mean, Steve and his troops embraced everything we did and the, the thing that I loved most about all of that was they embraced the Grand Prix, yes, which you've got to do as a government. You've got to yeah, take on you what your for, former government, where the contracts and everything. But the vitriol against the Grand Prix as we got it going and setting it, and my, my place was attacked and I was physically abused and everything else, and John Thwaites and everyone yeah. else was leading the charge. But, of course, once you, once you accept responsibility, you've got to accept those things. So and the casino as well was a big uh, flashpoint. Well, well, they tried for a while to argue that I'd done some sweet deal, but they never released the documents because there was no documents that would prove that. So on the Grand Prix, it was largely John Brumby and myself that changed our policy and accepted and supported it. And, 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 I mean, and we did. Yeah, um, but it was but just symbolic. where we differed was largely on... It'd have to be... You have to say some of the regions, you know, and some of the investment... Um, uh, 
taking back a few hospitals into public ownership from private ownership. So they're the sort of things we differed on. And that's a fair difference, really, for a party. Were there any of those big ticket items that you were this close to sort of canning or or changing? Or did you just think, we're just going to follow along here and then set our own path on other things? Um, I can't think of any in that regard. You mentioned one earlier on, but I just can't remember what you said. But there was one I had to change, I think. Um, I think in one of the elections I indicated that I'd bring in industrial manslaughter. I dumped that because I saw the effect that would have on business and industry. So I did dump that. There was one or two of those which I did, and that was the experience of being in government. You're going to bring conductors back, I think. Conductors, that was it. Yes, that was a brave move, wasn't it? And um, I think I saw the sense in that once I had the better information of being in government. Do you still have the same concerns about industrial manslaughter? No, I think time's moved on. I think it's now in two or three states now, isn't it? So that's sort of... Some of these issues do move on a bit, and um, that one has. The other one was Waverley. That's right. Waverley was a vexed issue. <laughs> um, Closing what, Waverley. What do you do about... You were going to keep it open, you promised. was always a vexed issue. We, and in the end, we came to some compromise where we kept half, or no, a portion of it. And I think you're even getting rid of that now, aren't you? Or, or yeah, leaving? Yeah, we're, we're about to leave. <laughs> but it was, that, was a, that was one we had to sort of change a bit as we got in, I think. But generally, no. Any Liberal hopes that the result was a protest vote gone wrong and that they would soon be returning to power were soon dashed. Within months, Labor had won by-elections in Jeff Kennett's old seat of Burwood and former Deputy Premier Pat McNamara's seat of Benalla. Three years later, in 2002, Brax would lead Labor to its greatest ever victory in Victoria when he smashed the Liberal Party under Robert Doyle. By 2006, with Brax on the verge of another landslide victory, the Liberals were flirting with bringing back Jeff Kennett. In 2006, Bill Ford and a few tried to get you to come back. How close were you to... Was that... Uh, well... That was b- between... When, when Doyle was clearly on his last legs and before Ted came over, there, there was a I bit said, of a movement that well, you might... That, that, that was going to be the second coming. My hope was that either Rob Knowles or Ted Bailey would succeed me. Had we gotten won that... 99 election, and probably Rob Knowles, because Rob was a much, were very different to me, uh, softer, you know, a bit like Steve, nice guy. And then I was approached a couple of times, and on one occasion, I remember when Ted was, Rob Doyle was going, they rang me up and asked me to go back, and I went to Ted, because Ted had difficulties making decisions, and I said to Ted, are you going to take this or not? Make up your mind. If you're not going to do it, I'll do it. And you were on the record saying that. Yes. If you, it was an AFL house at the time, I think, from memory. I said, if you're going to do it, do it. I asked you to come into the parliament. If you want it, it's yours. If you don't want it, just bloody tell me and we'll get on with the job. And so he came back the next day or next morning and said, yes, spoken to his wife. Yes, he wants it. I said, right, that's it. I'm out of here. 2006, obviously, there was a change of leadership in, in the party. And at the time, obviously, Jeff, rumours started to come around that Jeff might be coming back. And there was also Ted Bailey, of course, who was coming up. So was there much of a resurgence of Jeff or do you think that was to push some people to make a decision or what do you think was well, happening? Well, I do remember the time because I was, um, well, I was there and involved in it. Uh, I was talking frequently to Ted. I, I think I had just come back as deputy. Phil Honeywood had stood down. And I came back as, as deputy, which I had never anticipated doing. But anyway, politics is politics. Um, what I said to journalists at the time, and I have to say I, I had a number of telephone conversations with Jeff over this, is tell me the seat that Jeff is going to have 
in order to be the leader. Tell me the seat, okay? It's got to be lower house. Start to go through. Which member is going to stand down? And, of course, everyone said, oh, oh. Well, the media loved it. And my view is Geoffrey loved it as well. Um, you know, here he was on the front page of the paper. It was Geoffrey in his element. He was having a ball. He was having huge fun. And I'm sure there are a lot of people seriously saying to him, why don't you come back and lead the Liberal Party? Because it's, a, it's an almighty mess, because obviously Doyle had been leader, took us to this 2002 shocking defeat. I think there were 17 of us left, or 23, 23 of us left, I think, in the lower house. It hadn't got any better, which was why I think Doyle saw the writing on the wall and stood down. And Ted being Ted was consulting with his colleagues to see if they wanted him to be leader. So the public probably saw a hiatus because the minute Doyley stood down, Ted didn't say, I'm running for leader, because that's not Ted's personality. Ted was talking to people. He was consulting with people saying, do you want me to be your leader? So Ted lost momentum for a few days. Don't ask me, two, three or something. And in politics, where there's a vacuum, it's going to get filled. And it got filled by Jeffrey, his great mentor, who had said, I am absolutely sure. A lot of people were saying, Tim, I wish you'd come back. And look, I know there were members of the Parliamentary Liberal Party who rang him and said, come back. But there's a logistical problem. You have to have a seat. And I used to say to every journalist who rang me over this, name me the member who is going to hand over his or her seat. And then when you have worked that out, then you can come and have a serious conversation with me about Geoffrey coming back. But there is no seat. And to my knowledge, unless there was a secret plan, to my knowledge, there was no member prepared to offer his or her seat to Geoffrey to come back. But he loved it. That was former Deputy Liberal Leader Louise Asher. Ted Bailey ended up taking the reins, and while he wasn't successful in 2006, he won the 2010 state election. The Liberals were only in power for four years, however, leading to questions about how often the party had been in power in Victoria in recent decades. This sort of brings me to something I wanted to talk about. In 1999, going into that election, between 1955 and 1999, Labor had been out of power for all but 10 years at that time. Since then, Labor's pretty much been in. And if you look at the last 40 years now, the Victorian Liberal Party's won three elections in the last 40 years. Mm. And, and, and now, 20 years on from that election, it, with due respect, the, 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 your seven years is starting to look like the aberration. Whereas at that time, we thought, in this state, you know, things have flipped. Why do you think that is? And you may be right. I mean, I always hold the view that oppositions never win government. Governments lose. And certainly our predecessors lost government because of a whole lot of issues, finance, union trouble, etc., etc. It can be argued that we lost because of the speed of reform, etc., etc. Steed offered something different, something softer, bigger dividend. Thanks for joining us. Next week in our final episode, Jeff Kennett and Steve Brax discuss modern politics, social media and the big issues facing the state and country. And we look back at the 1999 election and the legacy that it's left our state. This has been Face Off, hosted by James Campbell and Matt Johnston. Edited and produced by John D. Burton and Andrea Tease Evanson. If you're enjoying the series, feel free to rate online and subscribe via your podcast service.
you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's yeah. just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilin sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats, and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck yeah. to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.